we all feel better. We all feel better in the dark. And now our featured presentation. Attention! This is a spoilerific spoiler warning. The following episode contains stretches where Tom and Derek will reveal vital plot points, surprise twists, and maybe even endings of films you may not have seen yet. If you do not want to have these films spoiled, please wait until you've seen the films discussed within. If you choose to listen further, you have been warned, so don't come complaining to us. If that doesn't bother you, <laughs> well, cool. And how you doing, everybody? This is Derek Ferguson. And I'm Tom DJ. Back with another thrilling episode of your favorite show where you find out what we think about the movies you like to see, you're going to see, you have seen. Maybe even movies you don't care about seeing, but right. after you hear us, you're going to want to see them. Trust Which me. is what happened with the Assassination Bureau, actually. I picked that up based on your recommendation you, in previous episodes. You told me that you had it. You had a good time seeing Enjoyed it very much, but we're going to save further discussion of that because I think we decided we're doing an episode on Oliver we're Reed. We're going to do a whole Oliver Reed episode for those of you who are fans of Oliver Reed sometime next year, yeah. I guess. I think by the time people are going to hear this, it will be next year. <laughs> Hello, 2008 from 2007. Perhaps we should call this a grinding episode. This is it. This is the long-awaited episode we've talked about since, what, episode three or four? And it's the one that people have sent me emails about saying, when are you guys going to review Grindhouse? When are you going to talk about Grindhouse? What's the problem? What's the holdup? The holdup was that when Grindhouse originally hit the movie theaters, Tom and I just couldn't coordinate our right. schedules to go see it. I think you saw it in the theater. I never saw it in the theater. Yeah, Neither of us right. saw it in None the theater. None of us saw it in the theater. That's just how busy our schedules were. Although part were. of it was because it had been and went so quickly. I was just getting to that. Yeah. We figured that it being... Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, it was going to be in the movie theaters right. for a while. Who knew it was going to come and go in a matter of weeks? This whole episode is not just about the movies. We will be reviewing the movies. In fact, we've got visual aid. Why am I showing the Why? DVDs to, to the, the microphone? To the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be reviewing the movies, but we'll be talking about our own memories growing up here in New York, which is a major grindhouse capital. And we're going to try to just figure out what the hell happened. Why is this great grand event that was supposed to be the event of the spring has become this two DVD release over two months have been kept under wraps? Where do we begin? I guess we should begin with... Where do we begin at? We begin with a street that has long been fabled in song and story. Mm -hmm. 42nd Street between 7th and 8th Avenue. Avenue. You won't find it there now. You'll find 42nd Street. It's 42nd Street, but it's not 42nd Street. It's the Walt Disney-fied 42nd Street. Back in the 70s and 80s, or between 7th and 8th Avenue, you had nothing but movie theaters on both sides. The Selwyn. The Harris. The one th movie theater that was right off 7th Avenue that didn't have any name. It just had this big sign. Three Kung Fu movies all three, day. Three Kung Fu all day. And you paid, what, like $3? Yeah, something like that. The New Amsterdam, right. where The Lion King mm -hmm. ran for so And now Mary Poppins yeah. was, believe it or not, folks, that was the most infamous triple X-rated movie theater in Times Square. Right. But you could go to these movie theaters. Most of them were like $2 and $3. Right. They all showed double features. 
B, B, C, Z, Z indie great. movies. They threw anything in there. You had your spaghetti westerns. You mm-hmm. had your kung fu movies. You had your slasher movies. You had your zombie movies. Your you Italian your... giallos. All sorts of all... weird ass shit. I don't know about other cities like Boston or Los Angeles, but every borough in New York City had their own little mini version of 42nd Street. For me, growing up in Queens, we had Jamaica Avenue. I think it was like 164th to 167th Street. Yeah, I know where it's at. I never, yeah. you know, I didn't go there to go to move. Me and my friends went to 42nd Street. We would get up on Saturday morning and we right. would go there at 12 o'clock. We wouldn't come out until like 12 o'clock at right. night. Stay there literally all day long. And these were fairly dangerous places for uh, our young minds and our young bodies too. People like to talk about 42nd Street being so dangerous and I'm not going to lie. You went into these movie theaters and you were sharing it with people getting high, prostitutes, the homeless, if they got $5 returning cans, would pay it in the theater and just crash out there for the day. Yeah, because they could sleep there all day and right. half the night. Back then, when it was a little bit rougher and tougher than it is now, the rule of the day was if you don't start no static, won't be no. Right. As long as you didn't bother anybody mm-hmm. and stay to yourself, usually nobody would mess with you. I think I only saw two acts of violence in all the yeah. years. I'm talking about a decade ago into 42nd mm-hmm. Street. I think I've made reference to this story before. There are Some of the people that stayed for the while were... Not the smartest people in the world. Like the guy who, when I went with a bunch of my friends to see Nightmare on Elm Street 4 Mm -hmm. and 976 Evil. Mm -hmm. And there was this guy in the balcony who was really hyped to see Freddy Krueger. So he's like going, Freddy Krueger! Then they they started showing 976 Evil, which if you remember was built as the film Freddy shot. So they were playing right. off the idea that this was Freddy. Right. So this guy right. was psyched. Cause, but Robert England actually yeah. directed it. Freddy Krueger in the house, y'all! And then the movie started unspooling and there was no Freddy Krueger. I got a little upset. Mm-hmm. Yo, where Freddy be at? Yo, I paid for my Freddy Krueger. He got a little nutty up there. See what I mean? Yeah, but you had stuff like that. I remember one time that there was a guy that he was talking at the screen, talking at the screen, which wasn't unusual yeah. back then. Especially yeah. after Koch closed down the resident psychiatric wards in Manhattan. So you had these people who were very mentally ill. Yeah. Well, this must have been this guy yeah. on this one occasion. This guy kept talking, and for some reason, this irritated this particular guy, and he told him, if you don't shut up, I'm going to come down there and make you shut up. And the guy said, well, come on down here, you punk bitch. Mm-hmm. The guy came down, pitched him off the balcony, just picked him up and threw yeah. him like he was a paper bag, man. That was one act of violence yes. that I saw. Act <laughs> of violence number one! <laughs> Another one was when these two girls, they got into a cat fight uh, there? No, one of them cut the other one with well, a box cutter. It was more than a cat fight. Yeah, though. it was more. It started out as a cat fight, but it ended up with the ambulance and everything. Because the cats like had that. claws. The whole experience of going to 42nd Street was part of the ambience because you were in an environment that was just as depraved as the films you were yeah, watching. Mine comes from places like the Strip in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Or later on in life, there was a grindhouse theater near where my mom lives that no longer exists. I think it was called The Ritz on Woodhaven Boulevard. You walk into the theater and there's like this weird sticky consistency always to the carpet. Way back when, when I was doing a Mondo movie fanzine, Mm -hmm. I called it Sticky Carpet Digest in honor of this. And there was always this... Because you always made that weird sucking noise Mm -hmm. with your feet. When you walk. Weird. And the place always smelled vaguely of human waste. Marijuana. Marijuana. Cigarette smoke, of course. Yeah, because back then, you could smoke in movie theaters. Mm-hmm. And people did. They smoked right. everything they could get their hands on. <laughs> they were usually theaters that were just left in disrepair. I remember this one theater I was telling you about. This mm-hmm. one theater, the Ritz or whatever it was called, had an actual hole through the screen. 
where mm. sunlight would get in. So there was always this pinhole of sunlight. There was the one. There was one that had a hole that was in the ceiling because there was like a whole yeah. section on the right mm -hmm. where nobody sat where it rained because it was water dropping Jeez. on the seats. Yeah, but. The main point that we're trying to get across here is that everybody went to these theaters. Why? Because they were cheap. They were cheap, and they showed the kind of films that somebody like us who were young, they're in high school or just out of high school, were interested in movies that dealt with blood and monsters and... Violence, you know. sex, drug, anything goes. And it wasn't like today where you pay your money and you go see the movie and then they right. throw you out there. there. Right. You could stay there as long mm -hmm. as you wanted. You wanted to go there and, and watch the movie two or three times in a row, you could do that. And the management wouldn't bother you. And also the other thing that, that I think we should mention is that these theaters had no shame about what they were showing because they would put the most gory and nasty lobby cards out in the front oh, yeah. to track people in. So, a lot. I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre for a second. Mm -hmm. Last House on the Left, Vanishing Point, which is referenced in Same. one of the movies we're talking about exactly. today. The French Connection, The Exorcist. I saw all those movies on 42nd Street. Eventually, though, it had to die, partially because of the introduction of the VHS revolution. Right. Because when you could go and see these cruddy films, you can rent them out in a video store and then take them home and look at them in the privacy of your own home. More and more of these independent film studios that were feeding this circuit mm -hmm. decide just to go direct to video. But also part of it, I think, at least in here in New York, was because of a lovely gentleman, and I used that word with the <laughs> ultimate sarcasm, <laughs> by the name of Rudy Giuliani. And I want to reiterate, folks, if you people are stupid enough to elect Rudy Giuliani president, the next day we'll be recording from Canada. <laughs> I will call Jen up, say, Jen, you put out some... some uh, we're moving to we're Canada. We're moving to Canada. I will walk if I have to. We're going to do the show from Canada? We will do the show from Canada. Oh, my God. I'm sure, like, Jen from the Amazing Spidercast could put us up for a few days while we find proper housing. What am I going to do with my wife? Does your wife want to stay here? She's, to, not, uh, going, she's, president? Not, she's not going to Canada. I'll tell you that okay, right well, now. Okay, well, we'll... We got enough time to persuade her. I'm going to have to get divorced, man. Giuliani, who would lead you to believe was this great, legendary mayor of New York. According to him, if you listen to him, he was the man who cleaned up New York yeah. City. Never mind that he took the books and promoted certain crimes from felonies to misdemeanors mm. to make it look like things were getting better. But that's neither here nor there. This is not a political commentary podcast. No, go right ahead. Feel free. Oh, I hate this man. There was a time, because I used to do a lot of freelance work in the 80s, right. as you know, made a lot of money during that time before the market just dropped out around the year 2000. Okay. I spent about four months of my life in an office in Pace University overlooking City Hall during the Giuliani administration. Beautiful floor-to-ceiling window with a level you could just see the whole thing, City Hall Park. City Hall itself, the whole nine yards. And there wasn't a day I would sit there in my office in front of my computer, turn and look out that window and think, if I had a high-powered rifle, <laughs> I could save this city. You could have got your ass the electric chair, and then we wouldn't be here right now I know, but this. the city would probably be better off. As bad as Giuliani was, yes, in some ways... We're better off. And I get this all the time from people that say, oh, you know, when I talk about 42nd Street, because, yes, I do tend to romanticize yeah. it. It was a dirty, dark, dingy, dangerous place. But I was young, and to me that was right. exciting and fun. 42nd Street, is it better now? Yes. Is it cleaner now? Yes. yes. Is it safer now? Yes. But, but it's totally soulless. Yes. It's like walking into a plastic fairyland. It's not real to me. One of Giuliani's major 
agendas was to push everything that was nasty and dirty and rude about Manhattan Island. Out to Brooklyn, yeah. Out to Brooklyn or the Bronx. Because that's where a lot of those yeah. X-rated... Because mm -hmm. there was a whole load of triple X-rated... 8th Avenue from 42nd yeah. Street till about 52nd, 52nd Street, Street right. was nothing but porn shops. Yup. And deep show booths mm -hmm. and drug, drug paraphernalia yeah. stores. You go and you could buy a mm -hmm. bong. Yeah, and a lot of those came over Are the river. Yeah. yeah, I think the last one that survived that one closed down about what about say five six years ago was the infamous Show World. That was the last holdout. The last holdout. They held on to the night. Show World was a massive three stories. Wasn't three it? stories. Three stories. Pornography Emporium on Eighth Avenue between Forty Second and Forty Third, right across from the Port Authority. Now it's yeah. a Wayne Reed. Yeah. A three-story Dwayne Reed. They right. really hung in there. That was the whole ambiance about right. the whole grindhouse experience. We didn't call them grindhouses back and the then. Other we thing call to them grindhouses now, but yeah. we didn't call them that back And the other then. thing to keep in mind about grindhouses is that most of these films that they were showing, they only made a limited number of prints, and these prints would travel the country. So they would do two weeks in New York, then they'd ship them off to Boston, and they'd do two or weeks Baltimore, in Boston, yeah, or Baltimore, or, right. or Atlanta, and just hit all these different things. So what was going on was that you had the same print being used over and over again, so they started to decay, and they started to Get look scratches. nowhere near as bad as it is in Planet Terror. In Planet Terror, Terror yeah. Yeah, yeah he goes overboard. He kind of exaggerated, but I kind of like yeah. that, though. You looked at these prints more often than not, and now that you're seeing them coming out on DVD, you can see how some of them have kind of like the colors go off. Now granted, there are some films where the filmmaker actively used certain types of film stock to make the colors go off. To make it uh, Thinking specifically of Dario Argento yeah, and the infamous right. Suspiria. Went and found a whole bunch of Technicolor film that was 10 years old. Right, and he wanted a specific... Yes look to that film. When we're talking about grindhouse cinema, we're talking about a combination of the ambiance, which unfortunately is pretty much gone, unless you want to start spilling soda on your... On your living room floor and, and popcorn, yeah. and you get a couple of hookers and yeah. bring them in and start smoking pot. Don't yeah. know if you really want to go that far. <laughs> um, the combination of that and these films, which were definitely off the beaten track, and were anything goes, and looked as grimy as their surroundings you saw them in. That's a good definition of grindhouse, and I concur wholeheartedly. Which brings us to two friends, Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. Both who had great success on their own, oh, and together, because yes. they have collaborated before mm -hmm. now on other projects. Rodriguez most recently did the score for the second part of Kill Bill. Frequently, Rodriguez would be invited to Tarantino's house to see double features. And Tarantino did it all up, because he collects... Not just movies, but vintage commercials, vintage... Theater yeah, announcements. The whole know, nine yards. So yeah, he everything. would splice these together into a little program. They thought it would be kind of cool to do just as a side project. And this was originally supposed to be a very low-budgeted project. It was right. supposed to be a couple of thousand dollars to try to recreate this Yeah, real guerrilla down-and-dirty filmmaking. Right. Just shoot it real Get back quick. to their roots. Yeah. It turned out to be an $80 million, three-hour and 18-minute extravaganza. <laughs> Should we do the movies first and then try to figure out where it went wrong? Yeah, let's get to the movie. Okay. Yeah, we'll do that and then we'll talk about it. Now, folks, i got to mention something here. In the movie theaters, this is the order they were shown in. You watch Planet Terror first. Right. And then they show Death Proof. Me and Tom have talked about this. And we're going to review Death Proof first and then Planet Terror. And we're going to tell you after we do that why, why we reviewed it that way. Okay? So bear mm -hmm. with us. My overview, as, I, as we've discussed before, is that I think that this one, Death Proof, Death Proof, is the better film 
okay. overall, from top to bottom. Planet Terror is without a doubt the more fun experience. So Death Proof. It's actually kind of two shorter films with a commonality. Because character Stuntman yes. Mike. Stuntman Mike is... Played this, by Kurt Russell. I think he was originally supposed to be played by Mickey Rourke. Yeah. And Stuntman Mike is a former stuntman. So he says. So, yes, that's true. We so never get any evidence of Because this. nobody can remember, and he, and he cites all of these TV shows that have been off the air They're for like 30 years. years. But he can't name anything recent he's been right. in. Stuntman Mike has an auto-erotic fixation, almost literally. Yeah. He gets off on stalking groups of women, and then running into them with this car, which is death proof, which is a term in stuntman parlance where they basically reinforce the car so much that the driver will be relatively unhurt. He can run into a, a brick, brick wall, wall at 120 miles an hour yes. and get out without a scratch. He can sit in it and do whatever he want, run to anything, right. and he won't be get hurt. So in the first half of this film, it's basically two hour-long segments. With in, two separate sets of women. Yes. In the first the set, we follow Jungle Julia, played by Sidney Tamaya Portier. Who is Sidney Portier's daughter. That, who is celebrating her birthday with her friends, I can't remember the real name, but they keep calling her Butterfly, played by Vanessa Ferlita yeah. and uh, Shanna, who looks not like Shauna. She could be Rosario Dawson's younger sister. Yeah. She's that good. She's, She's really that good. Particularly in the sequence that we never got to see in the theaters. Yeah, oh, oh yeah. God. She's definitely like a, a these, them, and those New York, Brooklyn babe. Right. Definitely, which appealed to me, of course. Mm -hmm. They're celebrating her birthday. They're going to go up to this lake house. And hang out. It's just going to be a girl. Although, of course, the guys, led by Eli fucking Roth. Oh, damn boy. Who is as bad an actor as he is a director. Wasn't he, though? He was ah, god-awful. Is trying to get them invited because he wants to... To quote directly... He wants to have Shanna suck his banana. Yeah. So Stuntman Mike is in this bar, although we know that he's been following them for the whole day. He agrees. And Butterflies even noticed his car yes. a couple of weeks. A couple of times. A couple of times. She said, wait a minute. Which leads I, to that. Haven't I seen that car before? Which you leads know? to that exchange in, that was in all the trailers. Is it my scar? No, it's your car. He also agrees to give a ride to a pretty young girl, Pam. Played by Rose Who, McCallum. by the way, which is a reference to your girl, Pam Greer, we see in rather graphic tales, but probably the, the most violence we'll see in, we see in this movie, he proceeds to kill all, all of them. And he does it by ramming his car head on at, at like, about like 120 miles an hour. My well, I, I have to admit, I'm of two minds as to which is the worst one to watch. The actual crash or watching him torture Pam. Before killing her. No, that crash. Okay. That well, that, crash. that crash is pretty Because you know gross. why? Because they go back and they run it and they show you what happens. Obviously, each individual they, right, person. each individual. Tarantino shows the crash. Right. And then he go and then he cuts back and he shows you what happens to the girls in the back seat. Mm -hmm. and the girls. Because one girl gets thrown a hundred well, yeah. feet through the air. Shana gets thrown. Jungle Julia gets dismembered pretty You're much. Dismembered. The worst possible thing happens to the Vanessa Ferlita character. Her entire face gets just torn right off. Yeah, tire oh, comes right man. Props to, to Gregory Nicotera and his KMB. Oh, man. that And it's the only real gruesome violence in the film, but, oh, man, it lingers with you. What Tarantino has done, he's taken a lot of time to set up these girls, yeah. so we pretty much know them, and we like them. You if know, you, the if you liked in Reservoir Dogs, that opening sequence where they're having the discussion right. about Like a Virgin and all this other stuff, mm -hmm. 
you're going to enjoy this film because it's almost that sequence. But with Jerry. Yeah, there's a bridging sequence, which is kind of important because we introduce the character of Sheriff Earl McGraw. Right. Who doesn't play a very large part in this film, but will play a very large part in Planet Terror. And his daughter. It's kind of important because before the sheriff has come off as like right. kind of like a goofy type right. of guy, but this one he's got stuck man. He's like, figured it out he said, exactly. He said, "Oh, he killed them, girl." Yeah, because he tells us his son said, "Well, what do you think?" He said it was an accident. I said, "No, he killed them." So then we are introduced to our next set of girls: Abernathy, played by Rosario Dawson; Kim, played by Rosario Dawson's real life best friend, Tracy Thorne. Right, and Zoe Bell. Who is playing herself? Uh, who was a real life stunt real woman? Who, as we were talking about, she was the stunt double for Lucy Lawless in, and uh, for Zena. and for Uma Thurman, Uma Thurman and, and Kill Bill. Bill. Now, the interesting thing about this second set of girls is that they're also movie people. Supposedly, oh, well, let's like not forget. Mike. We have the other one. The, the, oh, the che- cheerleader, the cheerleader, yeah, Lee. Lee, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She's absolutely okay. fucking gorgeous. Okay, she also has tremendous pipes on her. Yeah, yeah, because she, she, she sings at one point. Apparently, she hadn't sung in public before. Really? Her parents were on the set the day that she did that scene where she does the singing. Yeah. And Tarantino says, I turned to them and said, did you know she could sing like this? And they said, well, we always thought she was kind of good, but we didn't know if other people would agree with us. But she is. She's really good. Zoe Bell, who's on break from New Zealand, she decides she wants to drive a muscle car. Well, they're on a movie set. It's yeah. established that they're there. Right. Abernathy, she's a hairdresser. Yeah, she's a hairdresser. Because, Tracy is the head stunt woman. Because Lee, she's still got her right. costume on. Because she plays a cheerleader. Did you notice, by the way, movie? that the name of the team that she's supposed to be cheerleader for are the Vipers? Which I, I thought was a, a neat reference back to Kill Bill. Did you notice that in the bar... Mm-hmm. Where they're hanging out at? Yeah. On the wall? Yeah. Is the shirt Kurt Russell wore in Big Trouble in Little China? That I didn't notice. It's hanging on the I wall. I did notice yeah. the crazy babysitter twins in the background. Yeah. Though. Watch it again. The table where okay. all the girls are sitting at, look at the wall behind them. You'll see it's the shirt that Kurt Russell wore. But yeah, yeah, there's a lot of little nods yeah. to other things. Well, you got to Especially do, when we get to the car. You got to do that yeah. with any Tarantino movie. Right. Because Tarantino has got his own universe, right. first of all, where he references other things, mm-hmm. and then he'll reference other movies that he right. enjoys. She is located a duplicate of the white Dodge Charger that was the main car in Vanishing Point. Which is a movie that if you haven't seen it, by all means, after you finish listening to this, of course, Kowalski! go out and at all costs avoid the shitty remake that Fox did that starred Viggo Mortensen. Viggo Mortensen. Vanishing Point is continually referenced in Death Proof. It's a love letter A to Vanishing Point and B to Zoe Bell. Much like Jackie Brown was a love letter to Pam Greer. This film is all about how great Zoe is. And she is. She's a great presence. She's funny. She's smart. There's an extended sequence where Stuntman Mike is trying to kill three of the girls. Well, they're playing ship's mask. Well, they're playing ship's mask, which consists of Zoe Bell hanging onto two belts Mm -hmm. that are attached to the doors. Right. And she's lying on the hood of the car, and she's screaming at the girl driving it, go faster, faster go, go faster. faster. And then Stuntman Mike comes up behind him, and he tries to run them off the road. So you've got this extended sequence for about 10, 15 minutes, where she's literally hanging on the front of the car. And this is not CGI, folks. There's a joke about that early on in the film, where he's talking to Rose McGowan, and says, how do you think when you have one of those crashes you know nobody could run a- walk away from? And Rose McGowan goes, CGI? <laughs> yeah, Kurt Russell laughs. And yeah. the thing is, the stunts are all real live stunts that are being done by Zoe Bell. Even scarier when you realize that, yeah. that this is not trickery. Yeah, because apparently 
she doesn't have any kind of safety wires or harness because right. she sliding oh, all, yeah, all over the place. She's sliding all over the front of the car. There was a very real chance that she was right. going to get hurt doing this. And I am impressed by the fact that Tarantino wanted to do this old school, so to speak, right. and have real people in real cars well, like crash. I don't with think each other. Tarantino would have done this film if he didn't have his absolute trust in Zoe. This is her movie. This is his love letter to her. Mm-hmm. And I think that he wouldn't have designed this stunt and decided I can do the kick-ass chase scene I've always wanted to do if he hadn't met her. They, they have this big ch- scene. Mm. Russell runs them off the road and you see Zoe gets flung. And you're like, oh shit, nobody could have survived that. Yeah. And the girls. Yeah, and they're, they're crying. crying. Yeah, Rosario Dawson. The other, girl, what is, and the other person who's not crying, of course, is Tuckman Mike, who goes and goes, ladies, that was cool. <laughs> Until, of course, Tracy Thorne shoots him. Pulls out a gun that she's yes. been carrying. Yeah, she Which has been established very early on. There's Abernathy and Kim, and they're crying because they think they've killed their best friend. <laughs> and they're looking at this spot, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, up comes a little arm. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> and she comes striding out. And of she's all grins. Like she's coming from the beauty park. Yeah. And she says, hi. That was a close one. <laughs> <laughs> She's a I want to see her in more films. You have to love her, Wu. Just for that scene alone. Yeah. If, I'm telling you, folks. If you've seen this, you know what we're talking about. And if you haven't, when you get to that scene, if you haven't fallen in love with Zoe by the I guarantee yeah. you will fall in well, love with Well, there's a documentary about her and her relationship with her mentor, mm-hmm. uh, Janine Epper, who, for those of you who may not be familiar, was the stand-in for Linda Carter on the Wonder Woman series, mm-hmm. which i got to take a look at. Okay. Because I, she's got this real presence. Yeah, she and does. I could see her carrying another movie, playing an actual character. Oh, absolutely. After this, of course, the wheels are reversed because the ladies now that they've regrouped themselves. Because these are some tough sisters, and they say, "Let's go get that son right. of a bitch." And they turn the tables on Stuntman mm-hmm. Mike, and they start chasing him. The funny thing about this. Stuntman Mike is actually a pussy. No, he, he plays like the classic schoolyard bully. He the starts- second somebody fights back. He collapses. Yeah, he was crying at yeah. one point. He said, I didn't mean it. I didn't yeah. <laughs> one of the things that I thought was very dissatisfactory about this film was the ending, which was just so yeah, freaking abrupt. Yeah, it just like, foom. Because I was sitting there. And there's the Mary Elizabeth uh, Winston character, who is left with this hick guy who owned the car, who is played by an actor who was in Kill Bill, but also is a regular in Adam Sandler films. Mm-hmm. We never see them again. We never find out because it, it, it ends so quick. They beat the shit out of Stuntman Mike, and then, boom, the end. Although, to be fair, that's what happened a lot of times in Grindhouse Pictures. This Let's be honest. True. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more about the aftermath. Here's where I'm going to start getting technical. Okay. You say that that happened a lot in Grindhouse movies. Mm-hmm. I grant you that. This really isn't a Grindhouse movie. This is a, it's Quentin, a Tarantino this is a movie. Quentin, thank you. This is a Quentin Tarantino movie. Because we would not have gotten 40 minutes of a bunch of girls right. sitting around, which I enjoy. Because, because more than the violence, more than the action that I love about Quentin Tarantino is his dialogue. Is watching characters interact like that. For me... I really enjoyed this, whereas Planet Terror is more of an exercise. This is an actual movie. And it's more of a slow burn. Glad you pointed that out, about the dialogue especially. That's why I say this isn't a true-to-life grindhouse movie. They wouldn't have that much dialogue back in the movies back then, which is what he's trying to emulate. The world this existed is a strange world because... It's very 70s. But they've got modern technology. Yeah. They've got internet. They've got cell phones. They've mm-hmm. got Blackberry. Because there's this whole got... subplot in the first half with Jungle Julia trying to get a hold of her supposed boyfriend. And she's text messaging him and text messaging him and he doesn't show up. But there's no CDs. Yeah. People listen to music on old-fashioned mm-hmm. jukebox. They wear 70s-style clothes. Yeah. They wear 70s. They talk in... 
this weird type of slang from all over the right. 50s, 60s, and 70s. I do appreciate Tarantino's style. Right. But you got to admit, we've already been through one set of characters where we've had 20 minutes of number dialogue. Then we have the crash. Then we have the transition. Now the movie slows down because it's another set of characters right. with another 20 minutes. That we, and you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, I'm going along with this, but... Okay, maybe it's just because I, you know, I like these characters. I like them too, but I'm just saying yeah. that Quentin Tarantino got away from what mm -hmm. it was supposed to be. Robert Rodriguez, on the other hand, he copied the Grindhouse formula so well that you, this movie plays like somebody was looking in an old storage yeah. cabinet somewhere and, and found, found a lost John Carpenter movie. Right. Because, well, I think it's intentionally, aggressively... Robert Rodriguez trying to ape John Carpenter. Yeah. I mean, down to, if you listen yeah, to some of the music, the music cues, some of the music cues are very, very John carpenter -esque. And the transitions. One more thing I want to point out about Death Proof before we move on. There's a, another film podcast called Mondo Movie. Mm -hmm. It's a British podcast. Very highly recommended, guys. You can go there to www.mondomovie.com to check them out. Ben uh, Howard and Dan Autry, who are the co-hosts, reviewed two Grunthouse films. And Ben Howard pointed out something that I think is very valid here, which is that Tarantino already made his Grindhouse experiment, which was Kill Bill. Yeah, Kill exactly. Bill was a tour through 70s exploitation <coughs> cinema. Right. This was something different, even though it was supposed to be his Grindhouse experiment, this was more of a Tarantino film. That's where the disconnect comes from. Not to say it's not a bad movie. I like it. Yeah. But I just don't think as an experiment, Kill Bill is more Grindhouse right. than this. Moving on to... Planet Terror. The second half of this double bill, Planet Terror. Which starts out, of course, with Which Machete. In the original version that was in the theaters, and in the last, we only got to see the one trailer, there were four different trailers. Right. Machete, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Thanksgiving, directed by Eli fucking Ross. Don't, by Nick Frost. Yeah. And Rob Zombie's Werewolf Women of the SS. SS. We only got to see Machete, which is at the front of Planet Terror. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's the first thing that you would see if you had gone into the actual version. Right. Which is a really funny Danny Trejo film about Danny Trejo playing a day laborer slash CIA operative. <laughs> only in America, folks! Based in Mexico. Based in Mexico, whose best friend is Cheech Marin. He has a gun-toting... A shotgun-toting priest. And it's Death Wish with Jenny Trejo. It looks like it's a load of fun. He keeps saying he's going to do it as a full-on movie. I believe he's going to do it. I really do, because he loves Danny Trejo. Yeah. He's had him in most of his movies. And Rodriguez... And I would love to see Danny right. Trejo do this myself. That's what a trailer's for. The trailers nowadays don't even compare to right. that fake trailer. That trailer made me want to go see that movie you did, right you now. You know what the thing is? You know how, like, with modern-day trailers, you get... The whole story. Yeah, I don't have to go see the movie. Whereas with this one, you get kind of an idea of what the story's about, but you're still like, like well, what's he doing in a car yard chainsawing some guy? What's he doing over here with the... Rodriguez says in his yeah. commentary, it's all money shots. Right. That's why. It's not telling you the story, which is what? Trailers back in the 70s, that's what they were. Right. They were all money. You see a guy's head getting blown off. You see a woman getting raped. Right. You see a baby getting uh, thrown right. off a burning hospital. And you say, oh shit, I gotta see that. <laughs> okay, Planet Terror is the story of Miss Cherry Darling. A go-go dancer. A don't, go -go. Don't, don't call her a stripper. That's right. Although she calls herself a stripper at one point when she's at her lowest. Played by Robert Rodriguez's new whoopie, Rose McGowan. What's that got to do with it? If she makes him happy, <laughs> I'm happy for him. I'm more than happy for him. I think it's criminal that he's not going to get to do Barbarella with her. Because I think she's 
a perfect casting choice for Barbarella. And after seeing her in this movie, yeah, I agree. Because she plays it with respect and she plays it straight. But yet, if you look at her face, there's an expression like she's right. trying to communicate something to you while yeah. you're watching that. Let's have fun with this, you know, don't take this too seriously. She does a wonderful job. Right. Before we get to Cherry Darling, we have to get to the general played by an uncredited Bruce Willis. Yeah, the cameo. And Naveen, Naveen and Andrews. Most of you will know from Lost. Lost. There's this weird standoff between the general and his military men. And they're all wearing these weird gas masks. Right. We don't know why at first. Naveen Andrews is this sicko scientist who likes so, to collect people's balls. Slash businessman. Yeah, yeah. He, he actually has a guy walking around right. with the testicles right. of men he's killed in a big-ass yes. jar. This, supposedly this exchange is supposed to be going around the shit. Where's the shit? Where's the, the shit, as Bruce Willis says. Back. I think it's his first That's line. That's his only line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Inadvertently, during the courses, there's this big gun battle. The shit, yeah. which we found out is some sort of weird it's green... some kind of biological... Agent. ...is released into the air around Austin, Texas. Right. And then we meet the other major star of this film... Marley Shelton's Dakota Block. Who, if we watch it the way that we're telling you to watch it, yeah. you will have met earlier. Earlier on in Death Proof. Because she was Stuntman Mike's doctor after the accident. Mm-hmm. The sheriff called, oh, Dr. Block. Right, the sheriff. Doctor. Right. And he's wondering what the hell's going on because he's saying it in such a condescending way and exactly. being very kind of snide towards her. But again, if you watch Planet Terror before Death Proof, you don't understand. But if you watch it yeah. in order that you say, then you understand right. why it's mm-hmm. a real. You'll see where we get right. there with this, folks. Dr. Block, Dakota Block, and her husband are estranged. There's hints that there was a, some sort of lesbian relationship. Who's played by Josh Brolin. Yes, Josh Brolin. Who James Brolin. Really good. I saw this movie twice. The first yes. time I saw it was a performance. There was something about it I didn't get, and mm-hmm. it didn't hit me until the second time I watched it. He's doing Nick Nolte. I'm not surprised. That's yeah. just how Nick Nolte looked yeah. back in the 70s, when he was in his mannerisms and appearance. Mm-hmm. He's a dead ringer for Nick Nolte. So what's going on is that the blocks report to their night shift. At Meanwhile, the, she's, planning, she's making these arrangements for her lesbian lover, played by Miss Blueface herself, mm. Stacy Ferguson. Don't diss nobody named Ferguson up in this piece. Great body, but don't you man, diss she n- ugly. Don't you diss nobody she named ugly. Ferguson up in this here piece, Thomas. Shall we just call her Fergie then, so I can just tell you she ugly. Got a great body, let's, but she ugly. Tom, Tom, let's just go ahead. So she, she's making these arrangements, and they go to the <laughs> hospital to find out. <laughs> That there's this weird friend of theirs shows up with Nikki this... Nicky Cat. Nicky Cat, who is also in Death Who Who is also... He's playing the same right. role as... The, he he was got the manager bit. of right. 7-Eleven, yeah. He says, well, you got bit about 14 days ago. Why haven't... It's like, no, I just got bit recently. That right. night, yeah. Yeah. But make the long and beautiful story short and ugly. These people are turning. And they're becoming what is dubbed in the film sickos. Zombies. Mutant zombies. That Slow, eat flesh. That eat yeah. flesh. In fact, the first flesh that it eats is Miss Blueface. Yes. In fact, one of those zombies is Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Robert Rodgers said yes. that in the commentary. And they get her and they snatch her off the road. And who is driving by but Cherry Darling, who has quit her job right. as a go-go dancer to be a stand-up comedian. Right. Because she meets her ex-boyfriend, El Rey. El Rey. Played, played by, by Freddie Rodriguez. Rodriguez. And there's this wonderful scene where he's like, well, what are you planning on doing? And she says with total conviction, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. Yeah, (laughs) even though she doesn't think she's very funny, but everybody tells her she's hilarious. Well, what makes that moment is the reaction shot of Freddie Rodriguez, who just looks at her for a second and goes, but you're not funny. (laughs) (laughs) Freddie Rodriguez is uber cool in this film. He's supposed to be the baddest of all badasses. You know why he's so badass in this movie? Because he's an average-sized guy. 
That's you know, he's not bulging with muscles. He's, he's on got, the short side, yeah, actually. Yeah, and he looks so unassuming. And then later on, when he starts doing all this badass shit, right, he's, he's like, like jumping off a wall. Oh, so he's and there's this whole running gag where he has this prior relationship with the town sheriff, played by Michael Bane. Bane forbids him to have a gun. Have a gun. So he has to take the butterfly knives, and he's facing this whole group of zombies. Mm-hmm. Those, he can't get the blood on him. And he's just wailing away. Oh, he was terrific in that scene. And he's like... Very cool and reserved and calm when shit starts and hitting the And he's got a great chemistry with McGowan. It's wonderful. You yeah. believe 100% that these people were in love. They go back. He's giving her a ride. And she gets attacked. And they take her leg. The right leg. Which is also the leg that was injured with the glass. If you remember. Yeah, with she the got glass. almost run over. At first, she has to run around with a table leg. <laughs> because she's screaming. She's like, ho- I can't walk! The hospital is being overrun with these zombies. Yeah. She says, I can't walk. He breaks off a table leg, yep. jams it in the stump, and says, now, now you can walk. walk. Now you can walk. The doctor discovers that Dakota is planning on leaving him. She fills her full of anesthesia, because that's her specialty. She's an anesthesiologist. So she has no use of her hand. He's already infected, because one of the pustules from his best friend splattered all over his face. Yeah, Nikki Cat. Yeah, Nikki. So she's got to go go back to her house. Yeah. Her, because she son. finds out that her, her lover is dead. Right. Because he drags her into the morgue, and the morgue is like, oh, yeah, she's a no-brainer. He's a Why do you say that? Because <laughs> you got no braids? And they turn her oh. head, and the back of her head is gone, and there's nothing in Really? Yeah. All that's left is her face. And so he just shoots her hand, so she's got to go home, avoid her husband, who's turned into a zombie, pick up her son, and get the fuck out of there. Mm-hmm. With no hands. Which apparently was... Something was inspired by the fact that Marley Shelton has highly flexible wrists. She has double joints in her wrists. Double joint in her wrists. And there's that one moment where she's trying to open the door and she fails. And she breaks her own. Oh, God. That's she can't feel it. But It's she's, funny. It's like she, yeah, all the zombies getting splattered and stuff didn't bother me. Her getting her wrist broken. Ugh. And it's like the blackest of humor yeah. because she's hanging from the door right. and she can't get it. And the poor woman just wants to get home and get her son. Right. And then she gets there. And, and there's the crazy babysitter twins. The crazy babysitter twins who are painting their, each other's toenails. Nails. And they're cussing at each other's... And How kids, can you tell that this is a Tarantino-related oh. film? The number of shots of women's feet. I'm just saying is all. I'm just saying. But Tom, everybody's got their thing. I know. Everybody's Russ got and Maya had breasts. I've got knees. You've got Kristen Bell. <laughs> yeah. Tarantino's got feet. Yes. Basically, it's turns into the night. Oh, we also find out that this is why the scene in Death Proof didn't make a lot of sense at first, is that Dakota is Earl McGraw's daughter. The sheriff's daughter, right. This ragtag group congregates on this barbecue shop. And run by Michael Bain's brother, JT, played by Jeff Fahey. The whole group has to band together to get out of Dodge. It becomes Assault on Precinct 13 yeah. at that point. And there's a funny bit where El Ray and Cherry Darling, they're making right. love. And then Rodriguez simulates the film right. melting and breaking. Yeah. And then you see on the screen, Missing Real. And, when, and when, it, when it comes back, it's like a whole yes, thing. Exactly. New movie. <laughs> the Bone Shack is on fire. Michael Bane's been cut. <laughs> he's been shot. He's because been shot. He said he's previously when he gave him the gun, when he gave everybody, yeah, gun, don't try to shoot. He said, "Don't shoot me." Whatever right. you do, right. and the first thing you see is he's yes. been shot, and his deputy, right. played by Tom Savini, right. Shot him. Well, he's got one finger less too, because remember he got his fi- he got bit. But how come he didn't turn into a zombie though? 
I don't know. But they were saving him for what happens. Yeah, oh yeah. The homage to, to something to that he did. The when they come back, and it's like 30 seconds where it says missing reel. And when you come back, it's like you're watching a whole... Because by now, the crazy baby... This movie twins. changes at least three times during its running time. Because then it changes again after this, they go to the army base. It literally changes its tone. Bap, bap, bap. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But that keeps you on your toes. This movie engrossed me in a way, it engaged right. me in a way that Death Proof didn't. When I watched Death Proof, I was kind of just sitting back. The only time I was really jumped up and I was shocking was during the first crash. Right. But Planet Terror and me and Patricia was watching it. Just to show you how good this movie is, this is a movie that normally Patricia would detest. Right. She loved it. She said, I'm speechless. She said, I don't know why I love it. And it's this. like every couple of minutes there's something you just you, you just said to yourself, uh, I never thought that so that before. Yeah, I never, yeah. Like Freddie Rodriguez on the pocket bike yeah. shooting zombies. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting there, I'm laughing, I'm yeah. clapping, I'm saying, oh shit, I can't believe they did yeah. that. There's always something happening in this movie. Robert Rodriguez goes to the trouble of actually, this looks like a John Carpenter movie mm -hmm. he made around Escape from New York, right. Assault of Precinct 13, around that era. It looks like a 70s movie because it does go overboard with the oh, scratch yeah. and all those other effects. You get the DVD, as you know, Rodriguez always puts a little thing called 10 Minutes Film School mm -hmm. on each of his DVDs. He explains how some of those scratches and things were done as visual cues to the audience. Mm -hmm. For example, whenever violence is about to happen, the film degrades Okay. A little bit more. There's also a sequence when you start realizing that Tarantino in this film is not a nice guy. Mm -hmm. You know how like, there was that creeping magenta? Yeah. Across? He said that's, and also every time somebody does a chop, well, there's a visible splice. So there are these various visual cues he's planted in, so he's thought this out. I do think that there are some times where it just, it just turns to distract. Right. The only time that Tarantino's artificial aging distracted me was when the film suddenly turned black and white, which was just weird. And then he had another thing at the beginning where it was like another title flash. Yeah, very oh, briefly. I, yeah. Quentin Tarantino's <coughs> Thunderbolt is the is original that what title. Said? Yes. Oh, okay, yeah, and then it goes to death. Getting back to Planet Terra, and of course, you know what everybody's thinking? Where's the machine gun like? Okay, tell them. They go to an army base. The army base. Turns out the army base is the last place they should have gone. Because so, that's where all the soldiers are at. And it turns yeah. out that these soldiers were infected by this same biological agent on a trip to Iraq because Bruce Willis killed Osama bin Laden. Which he wasn't supposed to do. Yeah. And, and the only way to arrest the effects of this gas is to be constantly exposed to it. Which is why they had the gas mask. And they yeah. figured if they triggered a biological event, somebody would come up with a cure. Right. At one point, there's this soldier played by Quentin Tarantino who grabs Coda and Cherry <laughs> and plans to rape them. <laughs> oh, folks... All I gotta say is that it's a scene you literally have to see to believe. Eventually, El Rey saves the. Although, after, of course, Marley shows that she is the, her, her, her father's daughter. Mm -hmm. I love that when she just shoots off the needles. She's shooting hypodermic needles yeah. at one point with like some little yeah. gas gun. And then does, does the whole Old West twirl. Yeah, twirl. Well, I, you knew it. You folks, knew it I, know how this, I know how this sounds, but by this time, either you're going with this movie 100% or you're not. But Rodriguez sets that up early on because when we see her getting ready for her rounds and she's got that stocking holster. She's got a She's got yeah, the gun. She's, she's, got, she's got hypodermic needles all over the place. Well, she's got this whole thing about these are my friends. The yellow one is to take the sting out. The blue one is to make you a little mellow, and after my red-headed friend, you'll, you'll never, never see, see me, me again. again. Oh, they have to get out of here. They're surrounded by these sicko army people. Right. So she's like, I can't walk. I broke my legs. Like, I made you something special. Mm -hmm. And it turns out to be 
the machine gun uh, leg. M16. And she kicks ass. Because we've seen in the sequence before at the beginning that she can move because yeah. she's a dancer. And she incorporates her dancing moves oh, yeah. to use mm -hmm. this leg gun. Well, remember, she's got that whole thing about useless talent number blank, which she says throughout the whole thing. Oh, this that's useless number. You know. And we find out why each one of these useless talents aren't so useless yeah, after exactly. all. I think this is as good a film as Death Proof, but it's definitely more fun. It's more fun, definitely. It's, I sat there, I laughed, I cheered, I was going, oh shit, I was jumping up and down my seat, I was sitting there. This movie pulls you in. It's a movie, you're either going to go with it or you're not. Right. Because she's got an M16 machine right. gun as a leg. How does she fire it? I don't know. Rodriguez doesn't even care. He doesn't even explain it. And by that time... Pretty much you know by that, the first by 10 that, minutes, you know if this movie is for you. Because yeah. after they release the gas, if you're not totally into it, you're probably not going to enjoy it. You're the probably not going to ride. You don't even care how she fires it now right. because you're so caught up in everything that's happening that's going on. And it ends on a very strange note. Yeah. Where be, are you going to put a spoiler? Thing I'll put the spoiler klaxon okay. on at the beginning. You've got the world in it. And she starts a new civilization. Mm -hmm. In Mexico. She's, she's traded into the M60 for a Gatling gun. A Gatling gun. Oh, man, I love oh, that. Oh, my God. She's raising up the daughter. The daughter. Well, El Rey dies. He says that while he's dying, don't worry, but there'll be two of you. Mm -hmm. I never miss. I never miss. Which, yeah. once again, is something that he sets up earlier. Yeah, because he's been saying that all through the movie. But definitely, Planet Terror, Death Proof, technically, yes, it is the better film. I'll give you that. I'd rather watch Planet Terror. If you okay. put them both in front of me and say, which one do you want to see again? I'll say, I'll watch Planet Terror. And these are definitely the Tarantino universe, both films. Because oh, yeah. there's definite... Earl McGraw is in both films, and Earl McGraw has been in two Tarantino films so far. He's playing the same character. Yes. He's playing is he's, the, Michael Parks has played this character now for four, four films. What happened? Both films, you will agree, are good films. They are. Supposedly, although we've only seen the one trailer, all four of the trailers were loads of fun. Why did it not do as well? And the Weinstein Company invested a lot of money in this. My thing is, I don't understand, why did they release it on an Easter weekend? This is summertime stuff. I can understand why they would release it in the dead zone, but they should have waited till maybe the beginning of May. Yeah, not on Easter weekend. First week of May, or made it earlier and dropped it in March. Easter weekend, nobody wants to see two gory right. films. That's the time when people are looking for stuff they can take the families right. to. Nobody does want to see abroad with a machine gun, the four legs, zombies, or a stuntman. Killing young girls. Suppose you know. stuntman. Yeah, suppose uh, stuntman. <laughs> Thank you for the correction. Right. Killing young girls. That's not... I have no idea unless... I can understand why they didn't release it in the summer. Because this is such alien territory to a lot of people. You and I, we got with it immediately because we had the Grindhouse experience exactly, when we were younger. Yeah. And they did do a lot to try to educate the public as to what they were getting into. Part of it, yeah, I think it was a very bad release schedule. And the second thing, we're dealing with a generation now, most of them haven't seen a movie that's more than 10 years old. And they're used to digital quality. I myself heard that people, they saw Planet Terror, right. they went to the management, well, what's wrong with the movie? I right. can't see, why is it all scratched up? And when the missing reel thing was in there, yeah. they said, well, I want to see the Well, I know that, that some theaters actually resorted to handing out flyers before people entered the theater saying, this film is intentionally designed to look yeah. bad. and Or they would have an usher do a little presentation right. before the film started. I think also it was been a part of the aggressive advertising. Because mm -hmm. after all that, 
this is what Grindhouse is, this is what the experience is like, this is what the history is. Maybe people were Grindhouse out by the time the film actually came out. You think maybe they should have left like a little mystery in there yeah. and let people discover it for themselves? Yeah. That's, that's or... A, that's a good point. And I, maybe I, I they shouldn't have let it get away from them. This was originally supposed to be a two million, three million picture. Right. It was supposed to be ultra micro low budget. Uh, we know Rodriguez is capable of doing wonders with a micro oh, budget. Sure. For God's sake, El Mariachi was what? $10,000? And he made it look like a $5 million yeah. movie. And it just, the budget just ballooned and ballooned, and it was $80 million before advertising. Mm -hmm. So I think that the expectations were made greater by the fact that it just ballooned out of proportion, that it became a major tentpole. For the Weinstein Company. Yeah. And there might also have been some backlash because of the, from the Weinsteins themselves. I think that it is a sin that the only time that this has been done is an actual artifact. And I will contend that these two films were meant to be seen as a single artifact. Yeah. Not as yes. separate Not as entities. separate entities. There are sequences in both films that don't make sense without the other. Without the other one. And unless you see them in the order, you got to see Death Proof first, then Planet Terror. Right. It'll be a lot clearer. If you watch them the other way, and then you go back and you say, well... Wait a minute. Because but in, she was dead in that yeah. other movie. How come she's alive in this right. part? Because if, in Planet Terror, there is a report that Jungle, Jungle Julia, Julia is killed. Is, there's a definite sense that these were designed specifically to be a single entity. Well, the only time they were seen as a single entity was during that brief three-week run here in America. They split them up as separate films for, international. for, for the international market. But that was always planned that they were yeah. going to do that. My and now, apparently, the reason why it was not released as a single set was a problem with the Directors Guild. Although we heard all these wild rumors, one of the rumors being that there was a fallout between Tarantino Rodriguez over the Rose McGowan situation. Right. But the fact of the matter is, is nothing as salacious as that. It's just the fact that Robert Rodriguez is not a member of the Directors Guild. They would not allow the film to be packaged with stuff that is Guild-sanctioned. Guild-sanctioned. Apparently, Tarantino is going through one of his periods where he's part of the Guild. Oh. So... Death Proof was Guild-sanctioned, Planetara was Terrible not. Was. The Guild would not give the dispensation for both films to be packaged, packaged together. together. right. Rodriguez insists there's going to be a yes, what set. he does, he insists it's going in to be... In fact, yeah. he mentions it very specifically on his 10-minute film school. And in the commentary... Right, uh, and I will be the first to admit that if they ever do a complete set with the complete film, with all the trailers, with all the and, trailers everything, and everything, I ah. will double dip. Think, think about how long it took for Kill Bill, the whole bloody affair. Yeah. To show up. We don't even know if it is going to show up on Christmas Day like they're saying it's going to show up. But it took, what, three, four years? Three, four years. So I'm not holding my breath for it just yet. I don't know. I, I really wish that they'd given it another chance has the, the single entity. I, I think, think so, too. I if they so had too. done it as a single entity for the DVD market, I think it would have gone through the roof. Because yeah. that was another critique people had was that... It was too long. They thought the three and a half hour, which I don't understand. You myself. know something? I think that's a bunch of bullshit. We're at the time now when the average length of a movie is it's about two and a half hours, two and a half hours or three hours. Lord of the Rings was what three, four hours. People said well, these things go into in cycles. Live on this planet long enough, we know that there is always these cycles where you have these extra long movies, and then for about another five years, we get right. really hyper short movies. That was like back during the fifties when they had the biblical yeah. epics that was so long they needed ten minute intermissions. intermissions. Right, and then what happened? During the 60s and 70s, movies went back to being right. 90 minutes. I think we're going back into that cycle now because mm -hmm. I'm noticing that movies are being shorter now. They're not two hours, two and a half hours. When you had a movie that was that long, it was an event. It and you know what the thing is, sometimes, Spider-Man 3, which we talked about in our last reviews right. episode, 
did not need to be two no, hours and 45 minutes no, long. Oh man, no way. 30 yeah. Days a Night, which we'll be we're recording later on as part of our review episode for the coming quarter, did not need to be two hours and 17 minutes long. Rob Zombie's Halloween yeah, did Halloween not need, to be, need to be that an long. hour and 50 minutes long. You should let the film dictate how long it should be. You don't have to pad it. I think what it is is that they just pad it out to make people feel like they get yeah. their money's worth. I mean, because people are paying 10 11 In some places yeah. in Manhattan, I hear that they're paying twelve fifty. Yeah. So Neither of these films are padded out. Even that they're extended two hour long. No, length. even with Death Proof, which I admit I have a little problem with, we got to have 20 minutes of dialogue with one set of girls and then 20 minutes with mm-hmm. another. It's not padded. It's firm, solid character right. development that we need to know to understand what's going to happen later on. So that we feel truly horrified. Right. I guess we can assume that both films are recommended. Absolutely. I recommend them both wholeheartedly. I just wish we could. Apparently all the trailers are still available on YouTube. Maybe we should do that sometime, but I want to see the whole thing. I want the whole damn setup. My dear, dear, dear friend Carmen, he was kind enough. We love you, Carmen. Well, I don't know about you. Gave me this nice little sleeve that I could put both (laughs) of my Grindhouse movies in. I mean, look, this is a woman who doesn't question, why did you have to buy... Planetary the, the day it came out. And what was you saying about Whoopies a while ago? <laughs> I'm not saying nothing. <laughs> okay. I'm not saying nothing. That was very nice. Yes. And I'm looking at it, folks, and I'm telling you, it's a very handsome. It's nice. So then I guess we can both say we agree on this we one. We agree that, on this one. This is recommended. Absolutely. I'm hoping that this does not discourage Rodriguez and Tarantino from their original intention, which was to open Grindhouse up as a direct-to-video Imprint. I hope they do. As a matter of fact, I'm going to find Robert Rodriguez's email right. and tell him I want a movie with the crazy babysitting. Oh yeah. God! Oh, okay. we should talk. <laughs> if we can say a few. <laughs> Robert Rodriguez's nieces <laughs> from Venezuela. They are famous actresses and models. Oh my God! And they're like just they're total, hilarious. total loco. The nice things that these you have these little side bits that are just absolutely funny. When they get to the doctor's house and they start cursing her out, say, "Well, what? Your you friend know? didn't show. What's wrong yeah. with you? We got things to do, chica." We got, yeah. <laughs> and she kicks him out the house. Literally, she kicks him in right. the head. And we figure that's the end of the scene. And she gets in the car and they show up with. Apparently, Rodriguez wrote in his script. They're not infected. They're just crazy. They're just crazy. And they start attacking her car with a shovel and a rake. Mm-hmm. And breaking and cussing her out. And then, <laughs> then chasing the car, throwing rocks yeah. up there on in the, the, the boat check. And she's like, we're sorry about your son. We're sorry we broke your car. <laughs> I'm t- I want to see a movie with yes. crazy babysitting twins. See, I could see almost a, a Pam Greer-esque Revenge story <laughs> with the two of them. Uh-uh. Yo, Danny Trejo is their uncle. uncle oh, call us, Robert. We got a plot. <laughs> we got a plot. We got a movie. We can write We got this. a plot, Robert. I guess it's now time to uh, give out the information. Which reminds me. Yeah. Continuing to get the occasional oh, can I say just email. One more, can I say just yeah, one sure. More thing? Go ahead. And then we're going to do our closing bit. Right. Both. One more thing about Death Proof and Tarantino. Yes. I don't think that with the exception of Martin Scorsese, there's another director that uses music in his movies. Oh, better. Yes. Then Quentin Tarantino, especially during the lap dance. Mm-hmm. Now I thought I was familiar with the coasters because my father right. used to listen to them when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I never heard that song before. Look, the credit seat. I love that song. Yeah, and the way that he cuts it so the, well with what we are assuming are photos of Stuntman Mike's past girlfriends. Right. 
as he likes to refer to them. It's just absolutely magnificent. It, it is. In all of his movies, he's demonstrated this talent to nail the mood of a scene perfectly so with the music. He gets around because he's talked about doing this remake of this old Terrence Stamp World War II movie, The Magnificent Bastards. And I'm hoping he gets to do that next because I'm dying to see what he does with 40s era pop a period music. Piece. I'm dying to see what he would do with a period piece. Period. Period. A Quentin Tarantino World War II movie? Can you imagine? Oh, God, yes. That's going to be off the chain, yo. But anyway, I want to... Okay, that's all I want to say. We're going to get to the informational part of this uh, podcast. Get the occasional email at betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better the letter N, the dark at gmail.com. And I got one from somebody who asked me, why is our Gmail account better in the dark when everything else we do is better in the dark? Simple answer for that, my friend. First started the show, we wanted to have a separate email address for people to direct specific issues to us. I went on Gmail and I typed in betterinthedark at gmail.com and they told us that it was already taken. Somebody else has better in the dark, so I said, okay, well, how can I still keep this? Uh And I went with, I just dropped the I and they accepted it. So that's why our Gmail address is better. Mm, the dark. Let's say our podcast page, at least for the time being, because right. we're thinking about maybe moving sometime soon. More on that later. Yes, is betterinthedark.podomatic.com. And of course, our Yahoo group, and more and more people are joining. We just got John Drew. Yeah. Our good friend John Drew from Anything and Everything About Drew. She. Thank you, John. Although, apparently, one of us said we were going to bake him cookies. You can join us at the Yahoo group at, takes a deep breath, yahoo.movies.com backslash groups backslash better in the dark. And I want y'all people out there to know that Tom does this from memory. He's not sitting here with a paper in front of his hand reading off of it. He knows this stuff. There are times when we do use what I like to refer to as a cheat sheet. Mm -hmm. Later on, we're going to be recording our preview special for this quarter. And that we make a cheat sheet for. Oh, well, we no, have well, the very we can't remember right. That. Or like if we're dealing with like the Marvel the movies or a episode where we're dealing with a specific series, we, I'll put together a cheat sheet with all the pertinent information. Right. But yeah, no, this is all from the big grainy Delco up here. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed our little discussion of the Grindhouse aesthetic. Yes, I enjoyed it as well. And whatever you do, guys, whether you love it, whether you hate it, you know what we always like to say. Go Go see see that movie. movie. Good night. Good night. God bless. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to John Drew of Anything and Everything About Drewshi, Ben and Dan at Mondo Movie, and the members of the Better in the Dark Yahoo group at movies.groups.yahoo.com backslash group backslash Better in the Dark. After you meet our red-headed friend, you'll never see Better in the Dark again. Well, at least until next episode. Previous episodes from the show can be downloaded from betterinthedark.podomatic.com. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better, the letter N, the dark at gmail.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All material copyright, Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that you should never forget the hot girl in the cheerleader outfit. No, seriously. <laughs>